as we begin to step into Advent, uh, we're, we're focused on a couple of different themes. And Pastor Gary and I will be uh, rotating the preaching assignments during this month. I'll preach Advent 1 and 3. He'll preach Advent 2 and 4. And together we're focusing in these directions. Advent, you know, means coming. And so the two major themes of Advent are Jesus' action in coming to earth, being born as a child in Bethlehem roughly 2,000 years ago, and the fact that Jesus is, by his word, coming again to receive his church. And so the comings of Jesus, both initially and a second coming, are what we're focused on during this time. As Gary mentioned in his prayer, during the time of Lent, we're focused on fasting. During the time of Advent, we're focusing on praying and preparing, and if needed, repenting. The Church of the Nazarene, as you know, uh, began somewhat as a reaction to a dry formalism that, that appeared in religion a little over 100 years ago. And so as, a, as an antidote, I think, to perhaps some of the formalism, we didn't really spend a lot of time observing Lent or Advent or seasons of the church calendar as many Christian traditions do. To replace those things, the Church of the Nazarene embraced a revivalism, which resulted in a couple of revival campaigns every year to renew the spiritual fervor of the church. Um, but in reality, those two revival campaigns are very much akin to the emphasis of Advent and Lent. And we can merge those traditions, if you will, and continue to celebrate and embrace both the revivalism spirit and Advent and Lent of the traditional church as we spend these two extended period of times making sure that we are prepared for the second coming of Christ and making sure that we are in tune with the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we embrace this tradition of Advent. If you want to read about the second theme of Advent, you go to Mark 13, reading in 24 through uh, 37, you read about the second coming. But in the first coming of Jesus, you read from Mark 1, 1 to 8. And I'm going to read this gospel passage for us this morning, Mark 1, 1 through 8, and I would invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you read the gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, you can hear all of the historical details that we have 
about the life of John the Baptist. And I think it's interesting to me that Mark said, here is the beginning of the gospel, and you expect his first word to be Jesus, but it's John. The first word of the gospel of Jesus is John. John is a singular character in scripture. And and I think it helps us to understand about what John's ministry means. The best way for us to do that is to look to what Jesus has to say about John. So if you if you listen to what Jesus has to say about John, this is what Matthew records in the 11th chapter uh, about John from the lips of Jesus. He says this, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. These are his questions. Jesus speaking. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. The coming of John is a prophetic event of great magnitude. John comes in the spirit of Elijah, that great Old Testament prophet that God used to restore true worship to Israel. And I think we underestimate the message of John. John announces that the kingdom of God is near, that he's at hand. He is Jesus's herald, his predicted herald, and his message is prepare, get ready, don't miss this. You remember the story of John's coming, don't you? You remember how the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, the father, and announces that John is going to be born, and John's dad, Zechariah, doesn't quite believe the news. He sort of chuckles to himself because he and his wife are are like ancient, and we don't get kids when we're ancient for lots of really good reasons. And they're ancient. And, and when the angel says, you know, Elizabeth, your wife's going to have a child, and he's thinking, I'm ancient. It doesn't happen this way. Uh, maybe the angel knows something that he doesn't know. But John just, I mean, Zechariah just laughs at the news. And then the angel says, you know, you should have more faith since you're a priest, and you're not going to be able to speak until this child comes. And so all of a sudden, Zechariah can't speak for nine months. And of course, Elizabeth is ecstatic with the news. I think it was the news about the pregnancy, not the news that her husband wasn't going to speak for nine months. But we don't, we don't know for sure. It doesn't really say that. But, but as you know, the, the, the societal shaming that came with not being able to have a child in that day was significant. It was almost as if the woman had a curse if she couldn't bear a child. And here, Elizabeth, after years of lamenting under this seeming curse, is able to have a child. And so everything changes. And the prophecy about who this child will be, well, you can read Zechariah's own words in the Gospel of Luke. This child is a momentous child. And his message is momentous. Prepare Get ready. Don't miss what is coming. You know, I think 
I think we miss lots of things by not paying attention. I mean, what have you missed recently that you've said, uh, wish I hadn't missed that? You know, some Black Friday sales, maybe, cheap airfare to Europe, maybe your bus ride while you're standing there answering a phone call and the bus like zips by you, or maybe you're thinking, boy, I missed my Hallmark movie Soulmate if I had just been paying more attention. I, I don't know. The reason that John comes is to make sure no one misses what is coming, and that is Messiah himself. And John faithfully executes this mission. No one in that day would have called John the Baptist a warm fuzzy. I mean, he is stern. He is direct. He makes people uncomfortable. He uses words like, you brood of vipers. Not, not the most conciliatory language. And I don't know if it was just his personality that made him seem less pleasant or if it was simply the content of his message. I mean, he's speaking a pretty confrontational message. Repent of your sin. Repent. Prepare for the coming of the Messiah. But even in his articulation of this message, he is not one to call attention to himself. He, he isn't standing in the center of Jerusalem on the steps of the temple preaching his message. He's out in the desert somewhere. And if you want the message of Don, John the Baptist, you've got to go to the desert to find him. And you know, there were plenty of people who did. People who were anxious for the word of God, anxious for the truth that the prophet was uttering. And so they flocked to John and repented because the Holy Spirit was at work in his message, drawing people to the truth, and he was faithfully articulating the truth. In fact, John does such a good job of articulating the truth and of being the prophetic messenger that Scripture describes that when Jesus finally begins his ministry, John just shrinks into the background. And his disciples, when they see Jesus... Leave John and follow Jesus. We remember John's words, I must decrease and he must increase. The result of his message is this. There are many people ready for the Messiah because John has done his job. He has been faithful. He has witnessed to the coming of the Christ, the one whose shoelaces he says he's unworthy to untie. John is preparation for the coming of Messiah the first time. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. He comes to return the people to faith in God. But I wonder, who is Elijah now? Who is John the Baptist now, Jesus has announced to us that he will return. Some think his return will happen very soon. Who is announcing that the time of preparation has arrived? Who is supposed to reminding us to prepare to receive the Messiah again? We are. You are. I am. The church of Jesus Christ, the bride of the Lamb, your job is to articulate the message that Messiah is, has come and that he is coming again and it is time 
to prepare. That's your job. That's your responsibility. That is the job of the Christian church to give witness to the fact that Jesus has come and will come again. And every time we receive the communion meal, we eat this meal and proclaim his death and resurrection till he comes again. He's coming. And when we're doing our job, our lives, our words together in harmony are articulating the fact that Jesus is coming again. Okay, so I'm watching another crazy TV show on Netflix these days called Falinta. I can't really recommend this show to anyone because the production values are so low. The themes are often cliche. Sometimes it gets a little preachy. Uh, the cinematography, well, every once in a while they forget and they just sort of run the same clips again at a different place in the episode. So, I mean, you may not like it, not to mention the fact that the dialogue is in Aramaic and the subtitles don't always make sense. So, or Arabic, not Aramaic, Arabic is the language. But it does give this fascinating look at the inside of Istanbul just after the American Civil War. And that's what captures my attention. I love to learn about different cultures, and, and especially because this particular television show is made by folks from there. So you're getting their perspective on the world. And, and one sequence really attracted my attention recently. Now, I know that you understand that the Holy Spirit can speak to you through anything at any time. It may be through a bumper sticker. It may be through something you see on a side. It may be through what a friend says to you. The Holy Spirit is not limited in his capacity to communicate to us. We understand that, right? It's not just in the church service that the Holy Spirit speaks. And so this was one of those times when I'm watching TV, a detective show, and the Holy Spirit says, you know, pay attention here. Pay attention here. So an old lady dies of hunger in the city of Istanbul. And the chief judge of the city hears the news and sends his assistant out to call everybody in that neighborhood to stand outside on the sidewalk outside their homes. And then he speaks to all of them, coming from the, from the, the, the legal center, the hall of justice. He speaks to all of them very, very sternly once he arrives on the scene. And this is what he says. You have let this elderly woman die right here in your neighborhood. You are bad examples. You are poor Muslims. You have eaten every day in your homes and did not spare any food for this woman. How can you be so heartless? I judge you guilty of negligence. I sentence you all, except the sick, elderly, and pregnant, to a diet of bread and water. Now do not let me hear of any of you breaking this sentence before the end of the month, or I will have you to the hall of justice, and your sentence will be even more severe. I thought to myself, Christianity teaches the same level of compassion. I wonder how well we carry it out. That wasn't the point in the show that captured my attention, however. A few scenes later, we're back in the justice hall, and the chief judge is sitting behind his desk eating lunch. His lunch is bread and water. And his assistant says to him, 
are you imposing the sentence you gave that neighborhood on yourself as well? And the chief judge responds, how can I not? The woman died in my jurisdiction. I did not successfully ensure that those citizens understood their responsibility. I allowed a situation to continue that allowed this tragedy to happen. I did not know that the citizen was hungry. I did not have a system in place to care for her. How can I not share in this punishment? And I've been wondering, have I, have we done enough to teach our neighborhoods about what it means to prepare for the coming of Messiah? Have I, have you? If we are John the Baptist in this age, does the example of our lives point others to Christ? How do you celebrate his coming in a way that is in harmony with his life and message? As you know, Advent and Christmas come with enormous temptations. The temptation that is everywhere around us to celebrate with rampant indulgence and and by the unrestrained indulgence of our children, it's hard to resist. Have you heard the theme song for T-Mobile on television right now? I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. I want it now. It's chilling to me. If we won't do our job, if we won't express our role as prophetic voices in this generation, if our lifestyle does not reflect the values of the kingdom of God, then we will be bad Christians. We will be bad examples. We will deserve censure and punishment and correction. And I don't know how I can personally avoid the, in the punishment that we will deserve. And, and I'm thinking about that deeply this week. Am I doing so poor a job of articulating and demonstrating the proper preparation for the Messiah that the citizens around me have no compass by which to judge their behavior? Are my words able to instruct Am I doing my job? If not, it may be bread and water for me instead of Christmas cookies this year. Maybe it ought to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, renew us by your Spirit. Enable us to embrace the tasks you've assigned to us, that we might be your prophetic voice in this generation. Speaking by what we say and by how we live and by the way we serve, may we bring glory to you, we pray, Lord Jesus. Guide us by your Spirit. May there be a consistency by the way we live 
and by the way you teach us that we truly may honor you and assist others to come to the knowledge that Christ came for us, that we might be reconciled to the Father. And now by the Holy Spirit, may you be enabled for every good deed so that your voices may clearly articulate the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ comes to the glory of God now and forever. Amen.